Hello and welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. This is Meep, also known as Mary Pat Campbell, and today I'm talking taxes. In the Wall Street Journal this past weekend, they had a number of op-eds and editorials with regards to tax proposals that are being looked at in legislatures throughout the world, as well as various proposals that are being put forward in front of voters this election season. In particular, there is a proposal for a state constitutional amendment in Massachusetts to allow for essentially a millionaire's tax. And Jim Sturgios from the Pioneer Institute Public Policy Research has written an op-ed that was in the Wall Street Journals. And it was says, remember Taxachusetts, voters are being asked to bring it back. And I'm going to say a little more, but let me quote from his op-ed. Unlike many blue states, Massachusetts has resisted the temptation to raise taxes on high earners. That anti-tax fortitude is about to be tested. In November, state legislators will ask voters to approve an amendment to the Massachusetts Constitution, adding a 4% surcharge to annual income over $1 million. So let me actually skip ahead because there is something amusing (laughs) to me in the analysis the Pioneer Institute has done. And they wrote an entire book, again, titled Back to Taxachusetts, because this was a nickname Massachusetts picked up in the 1980s, so many voters, and I'm going back to quoting Jim Sturgios here, many voters in Massachusetts remember the 1980s when the state was derisively known around the country as Taxachusetts. A series of anti-tax popular initiatives in the 1980s and tax cuts enacted by Governor William Weld in the 1990s reduced Massachusetts' overall state and local tax burden considerably. So they had uh, various propositions that limited the levels and growth of property taxes that was improved by voters in 1980, remained sacrosanct. And that sounds like Proposition 13 in California, though that went in an ugly direction. Okay, Among states with income taxes, Massachusetts' flat 5% rate is on the low side. In neighboring Connecticut and New York State, The highest earners pay 6.9% and 10.9% respectively. And let me tell you, as someone who works in Connecticut and lives in New York State, I get hit with both of them. And yes, that's my own fault. I know what I'm doing, (laughs) supposedly. I mean, it's by my own choice. So the argument the Pioneer Institute is making And the analysis they did, it's in the op-ed, it's in this book, they are selling on Amazon. You're like, oh, but you know, if they want to get it out there, you know, why are they uh, charging? Well, they're charging, at least for the paperback, it makes sense that they're charging for the book to cover their costs. It costs them money to produce the book, definitely for paper, Um, uh, because it's, 
it's pretty substantial and it has all of these endnotes. Um, and I got a copy gratis as part of swag in exchange for some analysis I did for them, though it wasn't uh, with regards to taxes. It had to do with pensions um, because that is part of my particular set of skills. And hey, Pioneer Institute, you know what? Another part of my particular set of skills um, is with regards to data visualization, I can help you, uh, improve some of your, mm, yeah, some of these visualizations could use a lot of work. I can help you with that. Uh, in any case, they're under time pressure because it's this year. They needed to get this out for this year because it's on the ballot this year in Massachusetts. And I just laughed so hard reading this because most of the analysis is focused on what happened in Connecticut specifically. Um, because, you know, it's kind of mixed in New York. Uh, but New York actually learned somewhat. And if you listen to Cuomo, even Andrew Cuomo learned that millionaires' taxes are just a sucker's game. <laughs> millionaires are some of the most mobile people out there. They can, <laughs> they got the money, they can take it up and move. Uh, but in Connecticut specifically, and this is something that I noticed with regards to Connecticut, um, Connecticut's geographically not very large. And yeah, it's got a nice coastline, but you know, what's even nicer is Florida. It's warmer. Uh, a lot of people like going to Florida, which does not have an income tax, if you notice. And yes, you do have to deal with, uh, oh, I don't know, getting hit with hurricanes. But of course, if you stay in Connecticut in the winter, you have the cold. It's a trade-off. Okay. But getting back to the issue of millionaire's taxes. Uh, when you do a surcharge, when you do this millionaire's tax, where you have this cliff where you're going to do, okay, we're going to do step up in uh, this rate at $1 million, $1 million in income. A lot of the people who are rich, high income people, in Connecticut. And let's think about in terms of you have income of $1 million. How does that occur? Uh, generally, that's not a salaried position. It's because you own a business. And that means you generally have, I don't know, the discretion on how you take your income. And so you're going to structure it optimally. Most people do. Uh, some people have a limited amount of how they can structure that income. If they're working for somebody else, maybe they are in a hedge fund or they work, well, actually, if they work for a hedge fund, yeah, these people are not stupid. They will uh, negotiate to make sure their bonus is in some kind of long-term deferred situation where it's tax deferred. They aren't idiots. They know how to structure that. But if they can't do that, uh, yeah, they will move to a tax-friendlier climb. They're not idiots. Uh, New York realized they like their billionaires. Let me be more specific. They really like their billionaires. Forget about millionaires. Forget about high income. They like their wealthy people. They like their wealthy people to be there and to spend their money um, and to have all those cash flows floating around. 
uh, that really boost stuff. They like people doing business in New York. It's still very high tax. We have high property taxes, but we're also high service in New York state. Connecticut is very strained. They have a very high public finance burden. It's bonds. It's underfunded pensions. They are still trying to dig out of that hole. They have improved their pension situation a little bit, but uh, they're still very, very strained. And let me not talk about New Jersey. Uh, Massachusetts, think about it. The problem with trying to go for that, hmm, we're just going to slice that golden goose just a little bit. You give in to that, you give in to that temptation just a little bit. It makes it easier and easier to increase the spending side. Rather than boosting the taxing side, maybe you need to think about the spending side of your income statement, of your budget, and look at your balance sheet as well and see what's going on there. Um, With regards to what the Pioneer Institute's analysis is. Instead of reading from the op-ed, I'm going to read from their book. This is from page 41 of the paperback that they sent me, and this is them beating up on Connecticut. Connecticut has turned repeatedly to its wealthiest taxpayers to cover spending increases and is now suffering the consequences. Connecticut's governor and top legislative leaders were equally optimistic before the state's last major tax hike in 2015. Mark Bergman, a spokesman for Governor Malloy, who was the governor at the time, called it a historic investment financed by tapping the state's richest families and companies, adding that we are asking our wealthiest in our corporate community to help pay for a transformational transportation and infrastructure system that will benefit Connecticut's economy for decades to come. Connecticut's legislator Legislature and governor shrugged off warnings from major employers like GE and Aetna that they would consider moving out of state if potentially damaging provisions like a unitary tax reporting system were passed. Years of red flags and other signs that the Constitution state's wealthiest families were just as unhappy with the state's tax policies also went unheeded. Consequently, the state's third tax increase in six years failed to usher in a new era of prosperity or even solve Connecticut's persistent budget woes. Instead, Connecticut's economic growth practically ground to a halt in 2016, with a drop in income tax revenue from the state's wealthiest taxpayers triggering another budget crisis in 2017. In 2016, I wrote a post called No Billionaire Left Behind. This was about Connecticut trying to bribe a hedge fund to stay in Connecticut. That was number one. But I also found out about there were people in the state government of Connecticut that kept tabs on individual billionaires in Connecticut and where they lived. Um, And they paid attention to single billionaires moving out of the state because it made a difference. Connecticut had only about 12 billionaires at the time. This was 2016. This was before the Trump 
tax cuts, which were, of course, not a tax cut for the billionaires necessarily if they were in high tax states because they didn't get that because they, they may have gotten hit by that salt cap. Um, and that's separate from that hedge fund bribe that uh, Connecticut was trying out. Um, so that was something I wrote in 2016. Then in 2018, in January 2018, the Yankee Institute. So I do wonder, I do notice that, you know, you get some of the same people uh, through these various kind of libertarian, um, these uh, public finance think tanks. They have very similar people between them. And sometimes it's the exact same people who are writing at these places. And I do wonder sometimes because the Pioneer Institute, uh, based in Massachusetts, making fun of the Yankee Institute, <laughs> based in Connecticut. Um, so the Yankee Institute had pointed out that uh, Connecticut lost $2.6 billion in income tax revenue because billionaires or high, I shouldn't say billionaires, high income people had moved out of the state. And again, this is before the 2017 Trump era. I shouldn't say Trump, but I should say Trump era tax changes when Congress changed the tax laws so that people like me who are in high tax states, most of us didn't necessarily get a tax increase. What happened is we didn't get the tax decrease that people in low tax states got because we had that salt, the state and local tax cap. So we couldn't deduct our state and local taxes only up to a $10,000 amount. For someone like me, basically it was a wash with the marginal tax rates coming down for federal income tax but I couldn't deduct my state and local taxes. Uh, I went over several times with state and local taxes. Um, it was a wash. And so you can give me my state and local tax deductibility back, but then bring the marginal tax rates back up and then it's a wash again for me individually. In any case, uh, this is gives you an idea what's happening in these high tax states. They they take away with one hand, give with another, and they kind of bribe people with their own money. And yeah, the high tax people, I'm sorry, the high income people, no. To a certain extent, these high tax rates are a way to keep the riffraff out, to keep those deplorables out. Um, keep them down south, keep them down in the sunshine states where it's low taxes. Um, and yeah, we basically have a high entry fee for you to be up here. We make it difficult for people to live up here. Um, you have to pay a lot. It's like a, a country club fee. We pay high taxes to stay here, to live here. It's a luxury lifestyle. Most people don't admit it, but that's the case. We pay high taxes and we get high services in in exchange for those high taxes. That said, we are expecting a little bit of public finance voodoo in return. The problem with this Taxachusetts thing is now they're starting to renege on the deal. That now once you start to say, okay, we're not going to do a level percent state income tax. Yeah, we're just going to tax a little bit more for this part of the population. It becomes 
a temptation just to increase and maybe you start to do more tears. And this is what uh, Jim Sturgis is writing. There's basically competition between all of these Northeast states. So this is what Jim writes. While Massachusetts' stable tax environment attracts residents fleeing higher tax states like New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, those gains constitute a fraction of the net outflow of Massachusetts people and wealth to lower tax states, especially New Hampshire and Florida. Even without a tax hike, the exodus of wealth from Massachusetts accelerated sixfold over the last decade. In the aftermath of the pandemic, states are competing for talent. In the past two years, 25 states have enacted or implemented individual or corporate tax cuts. So the various states are competing right now, but in balance with this, a lot of states have a bad balance sheet and Massachusetts has this problem as well. So I'm sorry, Massachusetts has some stress and this is why this is on the ballot. I'm sorry, Jim, this is why they're doing it. I know he knows this. So it's not merely that you guys need to vote this down, but you also need to look at your liabilities. Look at MBTA, look at all the stuff. It's not just what your current budgets are and your future budgets are. It's also the past promises you guys have made. You need to look at your underfunded pensions and deal with those as well. Um, New York State's actually sitting pretty pretty, sitting rather pretty compared to many other states, definitely compared to New Jersey and compared to Connecticut, um, though New York City is not looking that great. Uh, oh well, it's it's always something, isn't it? In any case, we'll be coming back to that. There's other states that also have some tax issues and definitely other countries. So we will be looking at that in the future. Okay, that's been Stump, Death in Texas.